Welcome to Pro Se, Law360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-host, Phil Donahue. Hello, hello. Bill, we have a busy week this week, and yet no Alex Lawson on the show No Alex today. Lawson. We miss him, but uh, he will return, probably stronger, better than ever. Uh, that's what we always hope for if he has to miss a week. Um, but he has missed a week where there's a lot of consequence for us to run through together. Um, yeah. We're just going to handle it, just the two of us. But it was the big inauguration week. President Biden has taken office, and boy, did he get off to a fast start making some big moves. He does seem like he's just doing, it feels like the kid who, like, is just excited to start doing his homework. You know, he's just ready to get at that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I think this is one of those things where, um, you know, we talk about a lot in American politics, career politicians, but one thing they really get down is how all the levers of power work and how to really start pushing those levers right off the bat. Well, the first thing that I thought we would talk about, and we're going to spend the whole show talking about um, what Biden's already done and what to expect next, but the first thing I wanted us to go through are his slew of day one actions, a bunch of executive orders, um, 17, in fact. 17. You, now, when you first said that, I thought you said 70, which uh, I, you know, 17's a lot, but 70 would have been too many. But anyway, 17, let's uh, let's get it, into them. It break felt it. like it might have felt like 70 just to keep track of them all. And we're not going to go down these one by one. There's some sort of big, broad buckets. And I thought we'd sort of hit the high points. One thing I will say a little later in the show, we're going to talk about the practice areas um, that might be impacted the most by the switch mm-hmm. in administration. So in those two practice areas, we have some executive orders that we'll get to. There were some big ones in the immigration space and related to environmental law. So we'll talk about those more in detail. But before we get there, one huge bucket with a lot of action was about the pandemic itself. Yeah. You know, as usual, you can't can't get away from the thing that is most impacting all of America and the world. And I've Um, tried. I've tried. We've all tried, haven't we? Yeah. So a lot of what Biden did on that very first day was to try to continue to respond to the coronavirus pandemic. He signed an executive order appointing a COVID-19 response coordinator. He also restored um, something called the Directorate for Global Health Security and Biodefense. That's part of the National Security Council. He also took steps to reconnect us to the World Health Organization. The Trump administration had stopped paying into that group and had sort of stepped away. We're going to get back in there. Um, Anthony Fauci is going to take point on working with the World Health Organization to combat the pandemic. And then one that's a little more forward facing that I think a lot of national headlines focused on. He signed a mask mandate for all federal property. So he couldn't sign a mask mandate that's just nationwide writ large. There was, you know, there's some legal hurdles there, but he could make that mandatory on federal property. And then he also launched what he called a hundred days masking challenge. Yeah. And that's basically this like coordinated effort to try to get um, other governments and just the the U.S. population writ large to wear masks, especially during these like really tough days where we're facing skyrocketing cases of of coronavirus and he also right the the some of the other stuff with the the relief packages that we saw last year i know he extended the the federal moratorium on evictions right and he did the he did yeah yeah he did that one and then the one that's also similar um in terms of just relief for people during this tough time he's continuing a pause on federal student loan payments that's going to extend through the end of september so a little bit of relief to go along with things that are directly about fighting the disease itself yeah 
All right, what else? What else uh, What else was Joe signing on day one? Yeah, he had another big bucket that I think we can roughly call um, initiatives about race or inclusion, diversity efforts. He revoked an executive order that limited the ability of federal agencies and contractors to hold diversity and inclusion training. So now that's back on the table for those groups. Yeah. He ended, um, the Trump administration had something called the 1776 Commission, That group had released a report on Monday that a lot of historians said had misrepresented the role of slavery in U.S. history and was quite controversial. So Biden has disbanded that. He ordered an interagency effort to root out systemic racism in the federal government. So direct aim there at at trying to address uh, issues of race. And he also issued an executive order requiring that the federal government not discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. For longtime listeners of Pro Se, you might remember us talking to a former EEOC commissioner um, last year about a, a huge Supreme Court case that extended Title VII protections to um to LGBTQ and transgender workers. And now that has that's basically been extended to the federal government workforce as well. Yeah, it's very interesting to see those two buckets that you just explained, you know, the 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 pandemic obviously, but also the racial national reckoning with race and racism um were the two biggest stories that we talked about last year, I think. And to see those both sort of being these two immediate uh action items, I think is is very interesting. Yeah, I think it's really telling that, you know, the minds of Americans were really all in the same place. We all had the same yeah. big, broad things um, at the forefront, and we're going to see those you know, continue to be big issues this year as well. Um, that's not the only sort of set of big waves that happened on the very first day. It was all those executive orders, many of which we've just talked about. But the Biden administration also took the step to freeze all the new regulations put in by the Trump administration to give his incoming government a chance to review them and evaluate which ones they want to roll back, which ones they want to continue forward with. Oftentimes, these are called midnight regulations when one administration's leaving and they try to put their stamp on things right before they go. Um, So this isn't entirely unexpected, but for him to come in and, and pull that freeze immediately, again, just shows that this is the kind of administration that really knows how the government works. And so they were taking swift steps right away. Well, it's and it's also that, you know, it wasn't a typical transition in the sense that, you know, it took a little while to get started. I think that there wasn't quite the level of cooperation that has been seen in previous administrations. So, um, you know, I'm sure that there was there was more of a need to to go, go in there and freeze things and really take some time to take stock of what's what's going on. Yeah. And and in terms of some other day one things that um, were notable, the Biden administration also um, decided to quickly dispense with some of the appointees to various agencies that that they want to change. One of them was the head of the U.S. Agency for Global Media. And the other one was the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So got rid of those right away. An agency we have talked quite a bit about. We have indeed. Um, And then there's a third one, which to me at least was pretty notable. But I admit on the show that I'm the labor and employment nerd. So, of course, I thought this one was fascinating. It's the firing of the general counsel for the National Labor Relations Board. He's a guy named Peter Robb. And here's what happened with that. Biden actually asked Rob to resign, and he refused. Rob told the White House that it would be unprecedented. His firing would undermine sort of the independence of the National Labor Relations Board and of that general counsel's office. But 
Biden fired him anyway. Um, no president had previously removed a sitting general counsel from that post, but the general counsel who was um, there when Harry S. Truman uh, came in, he did respond to a request to resign it and did resign. So it was a little bit analogous, but it's hasn't happened since the 1950s. So it's that, pretty notable. Is, I wonder if that's our first uh, Harry S. Truman reference on uh, the Pro Se podcast. I, I, oh, I, I doubt it. Haven't we talked about Truman before? I don't know. I feel like we, we dip to, into history a lot. We need to get the show indexed and then go back and look <laughs> to see what we've been doing. But yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, it hasn't happened in, you know, 70 years it's it's like much of what we've seen in the last four years where one side does something seemingly unprecedented and then they say that the other side was you know that that you know i think rob was a pretty controversial figure so democrats he view was it as that we were doing something sort of you know unprecedented because of this guy who was himself unprecedented it's, yeah i'm it's, glad it's, you it's brought that up actually I should probably sort of explain that for the non-labor law nerds that are listening to us right now Rob had come in and um, the office of the general counsel in the National Labor Relations Board rubric is pretty important. They have a lot of power to shape federal labor policy because they decide which disputes to actually prosecute. And then they also craft legal theories that the various staff attorneys present to the actual Labor Relations Board. So they have a lot of power there. And following the election, labor leaders just... Uh, all of them basically came to the Biden administration and said, or the prospective Biden administration at that point and said, this guy's got to go because he's used his authority in very aggressive ways to support business interests and to undercut the power of workers to unionize that's codified in the national labor relations act. So Biden heeded those warnings and and that's where we landed with his, with his job. It was a busy day. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be a busy couple weeks, um, but we will keep all of you very, uh, very up to speed on on all the different things that are happening, whether it's legislation or more executive actions. Um, but now let's take a break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some of the big, uh, some of the big practice areas that might be impacted by the incoming Biden administration. You know, I was thinking as we were uh, putting together this week's show, it's a it's an aggressively overly broad uh, discussion to say, you know, how will an incoming president impact various areas of the law? It really is, Bill, because I mean, honestly, the answer to that and every lawyer listening to us right now is screaming like he's going to impact everything. I mean, every new administration upends a bunch of stuff, changes things around based on, you know, their policy perspectives. Um, but I do think we tried to narrow down some of the ones that we thought were going to see a lot of swift movement. That's sort yeah. of what we were going for. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest ones right off the bat is, that we're going to see a lot of movement on is environmental law. Um, in a big picture sense, the, the shift here is pretty obvious. I mean, whereas the Trump administration focused heavily on deregulation and, you know, moving away from enforcement we're we're going to see the inverse from the Biden administration. There's going to be, you know, plant, there's really been a stated effort to redouble the efforts to to fight climate change, to fight um to to better protect the environment. But I think there's there's interesting wrinkles for how exactly 
that will play out. It's not just, you know, we're going to, it's not just, it's just, it's going to get bigger. It's going to get stronger. Um, I, I should say before we start, I wanted to tell everyone to go and read um, our really great coverage on, on this area from um, our environmental law reporter, uh, Juan Carlos Rodriguez, and our energy reporter, Keith Goldberg. They both wrote really interesting primers looking at what's going to happen sort of in their beats uh, potentially over the next year, the next four years. Um, yeah, they had a lot of great stories, but I think, um, you know, they gave you a good roadmap to break down for us. What are some of the big shifts we're about to see? Well, there's there's lots of stuff in, like individually with these agencies, but I thought JC uh, Juan Carlos made a great point when he he noted that there's sort of a broader prediction that the Biden administration is going to take what he termed a a whole government approach to climate change, um, sort of going beyond the the scope of one agency to to try to get the whole government involved in this. Um, Biden has announced uh, a cross agency administrator sort of approach to this. Um, John Kerry has been mentioned to um, uh, work on the efforts to rejoin the Paris Agreement. Um, Gina McCarthy, uh, who is a former EPA administrator and the president of the Natural Resources Defense Council, is going to serve as, you know, the national climate advisor, sort of a czar on on climate change. Um, that effort is going to go to the Department of Justice, to the Department of the Interior, to Department of Transportation, for example, you know, uh, auto emissions standards, all that kind of stuff. Um, one interesting thing JC noted in his story was financial reporting requirements, which typically have not been involved in environmental law, but it's just, you know, it's one of those places where if you think outside the box and you're trying to address these problems, that's one area that you might want to look at. And what do we expect from some of these agency shifts? Like who's heading these up? Um, what are their sort of stated missions to move forward? Yeah, I mean, the EPA is what everyone immediately thinks of when they think of this area of the law. Um, uh, Biden has nominated uh, a guy named Michael Regan, the current secretary of the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality, to head that agency. There's going to be a lot of changes, um, but uh, one thing that experts are predicting is that the agency will be pretty aggressive in enforcement. Um, They're including the kind of criminal charges that we've seen in recent years in terms of these big companies and how they interact here. Um, Enforcement is down over the last 10 years in certain areas as much as 50%. So it's, that's just some low hanging fruit where I think that uh, we're going to see a a pretty big uptick uh, in, in the the first couple of years of the Biden administration. Beyond the EPA, the other uh, department we're looking at here is the DOE, the Department of Energy. Uh, Biden has announced that the department will be led by former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm. Um, experts that Keith uh, Keith Goldberg, who I mentioned before, spoke with said that the agency is likely to get to work right away crafting new energy efficiency standards, which apparently have not been updated in quite some time, um, dealing with a, a broad range of things commercial and industrial products, all sorts of different areas where they can find different energy standards and, uh, you know, update them for 2021. Um, The agency is also apparently sitting on something like $40 billion in unused loan funds that can pretty immediately be doled out to various uh, green energy projects. So that's another thing that, that we will probably see right off the bat. Yeah, I think these are really interesting sort of appointments to think about and what they signal about next steps. I know, you know, when you first introduced our our, our Enviro segment here, you talked about how Biden immediately take, made the move to reenter the 
Paris Climate Accords. But another thing he also did was to notify the United Nations that he would um, join a big group of other countries that have signed on to move away from fossil fuels like coal, oil, natural gas, all of that. So I think we're going to see more movement there. Um, And, you know, (laughs) the in addition to those things, we saw some other pretty controversial but concrete moves like um, revoking the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline, which was another day one action. Right. I think a lot of people viewed the the what the Obama administration did in terms of climate change over its eight years in office as, you know, insufficient for the the level of, you know, what advocates say is a, you know, an, an existential crisis. So um, I think that they have, um, you know, the Biden, a lot of people, whether, you know, as a criticism or a compliment, have said that the Biden administration looks a lot like the Obama administration that left four years ago. So I think when it comes to all this stuff, whether it's something as radical as, as, you know, supporting something like what we've seen in terms of the Green New Deal or just these more incremental changes, I think we're going to see a real focus on this environmental stuff. So the next big bucket I want to turn to is one of my favorites to talk about, as always, immigration. And boy, did it take center stage yesterday. There was just so much to talk about. Um, I'm going to try to do this in a way that doesn't feel too head spinny, like I'm just listing things. Yeah. But one thing that I he- think will help some of our longtime listeners and readers of Law 360 is that the big sort of overarching thing from the Biden administration on day one was a lot of rollbacks of what Trump had done in the immigration space. So it feels a little head spinning because it all happened in one day, whereas the Trump administration took these actions over four years But I think if we think of the through line as just sort of taking away a lot of the stuff Trump did, that helps kind of orient you as we tick down through the list here. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. So let me hit the highlights. Um, One of the splashiest choices was to immediately halt construction of Trump's border wall with Mexico. That's all stopped right away. Um, The next sort of big one was to end the so-called Muslim ban that had blocked travel to the United States from a bunch of predominantly Muslim countries. That sparked so much backlash. We've talked about this for many years now and made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And now that is officially gone. Well, it's remarkable to talk about it as just going away with the stroke of a pen after yeah. we spent so many you know, so much digital ink and so many hours talking about those cases that were challenging these things. And then to suddenly just like that is, is, you know, a strange sort of jarring thing. It is. I mean, I think this does kind of underscore the power of what can be done with executive action can also be undone with executive action. And that's really a big theme here in this immigration space. So he also ordered a bunch of additional executive orders, Um, revoking Trump's plan to exclude non-citizens from the census count. He um, issued one to block deportation for Liberians who had been targeted for more deportations under the Trump administration. He rescinded a Trump executive order that broadened generally the categories of undocumented immigrants that were prioritized for removal. Um, That was seen as a really aggressive move instead of a more targeted enforcement approach. So he's undone that. It's really a lot here. I feel like attorneys working in the immigration space have already had a very chaotic last four or so years. And I feel like, you know, this is I'm sure that many of them are thrilled with these changes, but I'm sure it's something of of whiplash uh, to have all of this change so quickly. I think that's right. And I would love to stop telling them things to look out for. But here we go. I got a couple more. Um, Some of these upcoming ones are a little more perspective instead of just immediate executive Mm -hmm. order changes. 
One is that Biden signed a presidential memorandum that directed the Homeland Security Department to, quote, take all appropriate actions under law to preserve the deferred action for childhood arrivals. That's people usually call that DACA. Yeah. If people have forgotten what that is, DACA is the program that protects young people who are brought to the U.S. as children from deportation. And this order basically asks Congress to enact legislation to provide those young people with permanent status and a path to citizenship. That's long been a goal for Democrats. So it's no huge surprise that he's done this. But we will have to see how Congress is able to take up the mantle of pushing that forward, which they've tried several times unsuccessfully. Those folks um, are the are, are the, the so-called uh, dreamers, right? That's yeah, the, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the group that's often referred to as the so-called dreamers. Um, so, you know, we've, again, spilled a lot of digital ink writing about them, writing about cases involving them, writing about policy shifts. So that's going to be back in the forefront to continue to be debated on Capitol Hill and see where we get with that. Speaking of legislation, um, one of the biggest things, even though it sounds like I've named a lot of big things already, but Biden unveiled a really big immigration bill on Wednesday, um, in addition to addressing those DACA dreamer kids, it would also create a pathway to citizenship for about 11 million undocumented immigrants who are currently in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, It would also clear the employment-based visa backlog. It would eliminate what are called per-country visa caps, which, you know, is a little in the weeds, but it basically has been a, it's hampered a lot of immigration to the U.S. It's basically a huge comprehensive immigration reform package It would overhaul things like the family-based immigration system. It would clear a bunch of backlogs. It would provide more training for immigration judges. I mean, you name it, it's in this bill. Yeah. If the administration is able to push that through Congress, it would provide more immigrants with a pathway to citizenship than any other law in American history. So it would be a huge change. Um, You know, as a person who's covered immigration law in one form or another for what feels like my whole adult life. Um, (laughs) I I hearken back a lot that this in some ways just reminds me of stuff I used to write about years ago, back in like 2007 or so, when there were big comprehensive immigration packages presented in Congress. And I remember being a young reporter back then and thinking like, oh, it's really going to make it. This has supporters on both sides of the aisle. And at that time, it really did. It had there was a time period where they called them the Gang of Eight. And it was Mm -hmm. some Republicans, some Democrats pushing for a comprehensive solution What's being proposed here is fairly similar to what was offered up back then, but the political climate has changed so much. So it's a real debate about how far we'll get, but it's going to be a really fascinating one to watch. Well, you're right. We've heard so much about unity in the last couple of days. I, it will be certainly a test of that unity right off the bat. Um, and it's always, I think, always interesting to see what an incoming administration, particularly when they control both houses of Congress, what they choose to use that political capital on as their first, you know, major target. Obviously, the I, Obama I administration, right. it was Obamacare. Here, you see the Biden administration trying to tackle immigration in a permanent sort of comprehensive way. So, Yeah, and not to get too political about it, but um, I do think that there may be some strategy here because the bedfellows for supporting a comprehensive immigration bill are not as clean cut as just Republicans, Democrats. I mean, many business groups support some kind of overhaul, particularly when it comes to employment based visas. So, you know, we may see some wheeling and dealing here about a coalition that could get this over the finish line. Well, I think that's a there's a great way to pivot here, which is uh, we're going to switch to another area of the law where, you know, it doesn't necessarily fall on neat right, left, red, blue 
party lines, which is antitrust law. And, and I think that, you know, as we dive into talking about how the Biden administration will deal with antitrust law, I don't think we can separate that from how they will deal with probably a bigger issue or a more, you know, a more sexy issue, which is the power of uh, Silicon Valley and really big tech companies and, you know, something that has been in the news a lot, uh, the, yeah. the the strength of those companies and, and how they sort of interact with everyday life. Um, it, you know, on that front, it may not be as different from the Trump administration as some of these other areas that we've talked about. Over the past four years, we've seen this growing uh, bipartisan feeling um, of of that there is too much power in these companies. And, you know, the folks on different sides of the aisle, I think, are criticizing these companies for very different reasons. Um, but there has been this sort of bipartisan chatter that something perhaps needs to be done. So, you know, you talk to antitrust experts and they will tell you that they expect the new administration will continue to pursue both uh, the big DOJ lawsuit against Google um, and the FTC's big lawsuit against Facebook. Both of those will continue to to be prosecuted going forward. Biden is also expected to take a, a stricter stance on allowing new tech mergers to go through in the first place, um, probably stricter than the Trump administration and certainly stricter than the Obama administration, which uh, in hindsight has been criticized quite a bit for going too soft on that industry. You know, that's when the the uh, Facebook buys Instagram deals. A lot of those went down. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense because uh, like we've said in a few of these categories, the landscape has changed a lot. I mean, I know it's pretty common for people to say, oh, Biden's just going to run an administration that's just like when it was the Obama Biden administration. But I mean, he will have to grapple with the realities of what has changed with the facts he's dealing with now. And this might be one of those areas. Yeah. And, and he, I, you know, he, he hasn't spoken a ton about this, but he has come out and said and raised issues about, you know, misinformation on, on social media platforms. And he has, it's a little bit different area of the law, but he has spoken about the um, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which is that that you know liability law that that um, shields big tech companies from certain lawsuits. So he has spoken a little bit about this, and they are expecting that there will be um, you know there will be scrutiny on these companies. It's not like uh, it's it's not like we're going to go back to to the days where people felt like Silicon Valley had a fairly cozy relationship with the Obama administration. So um, just in general, Bill, how how do we expect sort of merger review and and these antitrust concerns to be handled? Because I remember during even just hearkening back to the Democratic primaries, there were a lot of candidates that spoke out really strongly about this. Biden was a little more circumspect, but there were a lot of candidates like Elizabeth Warren was one of them, for example, who said that we should really be cracking down on mergers. Yeah, I think anytime you see a uh, a Democratic administration come in for uh, from a Republican administration, you expect some level of increase of antitrust scrutiny. And I think that's what we're expecting here, although probably not in super radical ways. I mean, I don't think uh, anyone views Joe Biden as some crazy radical. Um, uh, our Brian Koenig, uh, one of our competition reporters at Law360, wrote a really good story about how the FTC might might get quite a bit tougher on big mergers by national players that there had, you know, that there's going to be an increased scrutiny. He went through some of the previous, uh, over the last four years, some of the previous mergers that had gone through and some of the dissents you saw from the Democratic side. Obviously, those folks will now uh, be in charge to a certain extent. So we will probably see 
a bit more scrutiny on those deals. Um, Democrats in Congress will also probably give more money to both the FTC and to the um, the DOJ's antitrust division. So um, we will likely see uh, you know a, a tougher approach from them. As for who will run the DOJ's antitrust unit, we don't quite know yet. One rumored option is uh, Renata Hess, who is a um, a Sullivan and Cromwell partner. She served at the DOJ under Obama. Um, she, in private practice, has represented Google and Amazon. She represented Amazon, notably when um, the company purchased Whole Foods. Um, another option is Juan Ortega. Uh, he's a Crowell and Mooring partner who also served in the Obama DOJ. Um, we should also note that Biden is uh, reportedly considering creating a White House competition advisor, something similar to the cross-agency thing I was mentioning before, um, you know, sort of a antitrust competition czar that will be in the White House. So the extent to which that really affects policy or whether or not that will happen remains to be seen. But it's certainly a sign that antitrust law is not something that he is just forgetting about. It seems like something that will be at least a early on a, a fairly big focus of the administration. Dinner show is something offbeat. And Bill, what do you have to talk about with us today? We just wanted to send everyone to go read uh, a very good story that that um, we have up on our Law 360 Pulse. It's a new thing we're doing at Law 360. Very interesting legal industry, business of law coverage. Um, it was written by Kara Bayless, who has been on the show a number of times. Great reporter. She wrote... Um, a fairly exhaustive history of the lawyer joke. Uh, I love and that. It is... Excellent. I mean, it's one of those things where I don't know if anyone listens to Slate's Decoder Ring podcast, where they they yeah. take a thing that you've heard of. They did they did one on Murphy's Law. They did one on all sorts of just different sort of pop culture phenomena and break down the backstory of it and why it came to be. And that's what this story has the feel of, of going through, you know, this lawyer joke that everyone has heard a million times. I'm sure particularly if you are a lawyer, uh, you have heard many of them. Well, and- I think that this is so perfect because um, I vividly remember one of my law school professors that when you walked into his lecture room, um, every class he would have on the screen as you walked in a different lawyer joke or like lawyer cartoon or whatever. Yeah. And I think every law school has one of those guys like there's always like a handful of lawyers who absolutely loathe the lawyer joke, never want to hear another one. But then you've got that other camp where they're like, nah, these are great. I, I'm I'm going to show you one at the beginning of every class. Well, I think I think the lawyers that I like are the ones who sort of recognize that there is a kernel of truth in a lot of these jokes. And, sure. um, you know, you don't have to be the asshole that it sort of spawned them, but you can um, you know, you can still sort of giggle when you when you joke about the stereotypes. The story is really good, though. Everyone should go read it. It starts. It goes all the way back to ancient Greek drama. Um, we, People have we, hated lawyers from the very beginning. That's what that's taught me. 
it's awesome. I mean, and then there's stuff from uh, Shakespeare's Henry the Sixth with talking about, you know, the, it's it's very very good stuff. I'm very to, kill all the lawyers kind of stuff there. Exactly. Um, there's stuff about uh, you know the Beggar's Opera from 1728, Jeez. and we go up to to radio plays um, up to the 1980s and the 1990s where you really started to see these jokes, you know, get worked into episodes of TV and and other stuff. It's it's a great read. Um, it's uh, I, I did want to mention that um, uh, you know at the maybe maybe the 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 height of this was perhaps the 1990s when you heard a lot of these jokes and um, we something we've talked about previously on the show uh, in the movie Jurassic Park in 1993. You know, just to really typify this, we had the, there was this sort of evil nebishy character who who ultimately is this horrible lawyer stereotype and he gets eaten by a dinosaur and it's sort of a laugh line in the movie you know it's, it's like, a terrifying yeah, it's like moment a but it's like line, right? but it's like <laughs> that guy sucked and he got eaten it was awesome <laughs> i um, feel like uh you know a little wish fulfillment of some movie producers there that probably had to deal with a lot of lawyers Yes. Uh, so everyone should go read Kara's story. It's great. It's called Professional Courtesy, A Short History of the Lawyer Joke. It's up on the site. Um, everyone will have a blast reading it. That's a great one to bring to us today, Bill. Thanks for uh, talking us through it. Everybody go read that story. We also want to thank a bunch of other people for today's show, including our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader, our graphic designer, Chris Yates. Our contributing reporters this week, I'm just going to give a shout out to our entire newsroom. We have covered so much about the incoming Biden administration. If you are covering practically any area of the law, even the ones we didn't talk about today, we've got you covered with what to expect as Biden really gets rolling. So check out our website. That's law360.com slash podcast. And you can see a lot of those stories. We also want to plug our music for the show, which comes from Silent Partner and Kelly Marcano. And if you like us, go ahead and leave us a written review and five stars. That helps other people find our show. And we'll see you back here next week.